0: Well, here in chapter 15, again, we've just read the story in chapter 14 about uh, Abram who rescued his nephew, Lot. He displays all this courage and and integrity. We looked at that last time. Together, as he put together 318 men, his own men, um, he armed each and every one of them, and they went in a uh, military-style assault on the king. From Ur. You remember what his name was? You you see his name there in chapter fourteen all over. It, you look at it, it looks like cheddar cheese, it looks like cheddar lomar. It's it's is his name, King Ketalorimir, and, and he's a very interesting guy. And I believe personally, as I read the story, because he comes from the very same area that that um, Abram and his family, his father Terah, were from. I believe that's what gave Abram the advantage when he went north to Dan to rescue his nephew Lot, who was being held by King Lorimir and these other four kings who had come down and kind of cleared the way for their, their trade route down toward Egypt. And so that, that's what we read last time. And the interesting thing about last week's message in chapter 14 was Abram, uh, he met this man, Melchizedek, another interesting name in the Bible. But Melchizedek is a type, and I made a big deal about that last week. He's a type of Christ, the first type of Christ that we see in the Bible. He was just a man. It wasn't Jesus, but it was a type of Jesus because of the things that he did. He typified Jesus Christ. His name means King of Righteousness which kind of parallels Jesus Christ. And his title, King of Salem or Peace, he's the King of Peace, just like Jesus is the King of Peace. But it's what Melchizedek does when he meets, pardon me, my tongue, when he meets Abram, it's what he does that really typifies Jesus. Because what he does is he prays for Abram and then he blesses Abram. Very interesting Christ's unique role today in heaven is he's praying for you and for me. He's blessing us. He's interceding for us. And and so here we see Melchizedek. He appears in the Psalm, I think it's Psalm 110. I I revealed that to you last week and then also Hebrews. So Melchizedek is an important type of Christ in the Bible. It's in verse 18 of chapter 14. If you want to look at that really quick says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. What does that remind you of? The, the bread and wine that remind us of Jesus' sacrifice. And he was the priest of the Most High God, verse 19. And he blessed him, and he said, blessed be Abram of God, Most High, El Yon, possessor of heaven and earth. So just as Jesus is, is in heaven today, interceding for us, we see Melchizedek. There with Abram, and he blesses him. And so the story of Abraham is important. All these little elements are very important to, for us to understand that he is the father of faith. For us as believers, he's the father of the Jewish people. A very important character. Second, I believe, to Jesus Christ in the Bible. When you look at characters in the Bible, this man stands out. And especially because tonight we're going to look at the covenant that God makes with him. So we come here to chapter 15, and we're going to get this covenant. I've named this study, The Faith of Abram. We're going to look at the first six verses, uh, because the covenant's broken into two pieces, so we'll look at the first piece of that tonight. But follow along with me in your Bible in verse 1 of chapter 15. After these things, the battle, after these things, the, the, the fight, the military fight where Abram brought his nephew Lot out of the the clutches of Lorimir. After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offering or offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one, this, this Eliezer, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside. The Lord takes Abram outside and he said, Look up into the heavens. Look now toward heaven. We were all looking at the moon the last couple of nights. And count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, this is a second giving of the covenant that God's already given to Abram. He's reminding him now of this covenant. Why? Because Abram's afraid. Something's happened in his life that has put fear in him. He's he's wondering, God, are you still with me? God, what have I done? Where am I going? What happened? I went up and I I trusted you and I got my nephew Lot. And, And now he comes back and he's afraid. So God is sharing This promise that he's already made, this covenant that he's already made, and he's kind of going over it again. And In fact, this is the most important covenant in the Bible, and really the foundation of our faith as Christians. This covenant and this verse 6 as well, the foundation of the gospel, really. And I say that because Paul writes about it. He believed it. In Galatians 3, look at this verse behind me on the screen. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a son of Abraham. Very interesting. This statement that he's believing God, and then... It's accounted to him as righteousness is a very important concept for you as a believer to understand. Um, I truly believe this is foundational for us as, as Christians. We call ourselves believers. When you believe in Jesus, that's the moment when you're regenerated. That's the moment when you uh, all these wonderful things that God does in your life to separate you from Adam, take you out of darkness, put you in light. All those things happen when you believe in Jesus. And here, Paul is saying, like Abraham, believed in God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Same, same thing for you and for me. So we're going to study this, this topic here uh, tonight. And that's where we pick up the story because, again, Abram is growing in his faith. He started out a minuscule believer, little teeny tiny faith, just like all of us do when we come to faith in Christ. And then God brings trials and difficulties in our lives. We don't like that. We don't like testing. We don't like trials. But God brings them into our life like he does with every believer all through the Old Testament, into the New Testament, and into our our lives. God brings trials into our lives to perfect us, to help us mature, to help us to grow, to help us understand that we have to trust him completely. And that's the parallel we see in this man, Abram. He's learning to walk with God. He comes back from this victorious military campaign, rescuing his nephew, Lot. But he's uneasy now. He's fearful. He's afraid of King Keterloramir, or Cheddar. You can say (laughs) Cheddar's It looks like that when you, when you read it. He's worried about these five kings that might come and, and, and rule. Remember, they came and they destroyed all the other cities. They wiped out Gomorrah and they wiped out Sodom and all those other cities that were in that trade route. So they have a formidable army. But Abram, chapter 14, he went to the strength of the Lord. He stepped out in faith and he went and got his, his uh, nephew, brought all the spoils from all these cities back with him. Remember, he wouldn't take any. He, he told the king of Gomorrah, he said, I'm not touching your stuff. You can have your stuff. I don't want it. I don't want to be beholding to you, so I'm not going to take your stuff. And a beautiful truth, he's trusting the Lord completely. But now he's got fear. There's a reason for that. It, he's afraid of Ketaloramir, I believe. that He's, a, he's afraid this king's going to come back, and he's going to go to these cities. He says, now, who was it that, that you know, Raided us at midnight. Oh, that was, uh, I think that was Abram. He lives up there in Canaan, up in the hills. And so Abram is afraid. My first point tonight, fear not Abram. Notice verse 1, after these things, the battle, the victory, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Why? Because he was fearful. And God says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now, this is the first time in our Bibles that this phrase, fear not, is mentioned. And it's the first time that God is called a shield. So kind of interesting and significant things You know. The book of Genesis, the book of first, the book of beginnings, we have all these new things that we, we learn as we read it. But a word used throughout the Psalms to describe God's protection for people and for individuals is shield. Here's an example here, Psalm 28, verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. Have you ever claimed that before? Yeah. Yes. You ever written that scripture? You know, when you feel attacked, you put that scripture on your fridge. You put it on a little stick notepad on your dashboard so you read it on your way to work or whatever. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Abram needed a shield because he was expecting and anticipating he may be attacked. And I love these simple words here. Beautiful words because we all go through trials. I've been through them. You've been through them as well. And we, When we don't know the outcome of our sickness, when we don't know the outcome of our, our difficulty, our trial, our financial problems, our job loss, when we don't know the outcome of those th- things, we talk to people around us. And, and people say, oh, just chin up. You know, you'll be fine. Just hang in there. Just, just, you know, just hang in there. You'll get through all of this. But those statements are really empty. They don't really do anything for you or me, do they? I mean, it's nice to have somebody pat you on the back and say, hey, you know, keep, keep your head up, keep your chin up. That's a nice thing to hear. But there's no power behind any of that. When we understand that God is our shield, when we understand that our hope is in the Lord God Almighty, a sovereign king, a, a powerful king, That's got power and strength. That's got substance behind it. Now, when I face my trial, I can face it with a little more courage, and I can grow and make those steps of courage, knowing that the Lord is there to help me. In John chapter 6, the disciples, they were in a deadly storm. This is the time that Jesus was not in the boat with them. And the Bible says they rowed for three or four miles. They're rowing. They're trying to get to shore. They can't get to shore. They're all ro- roaring. They're probably bailing, bailing, and ro- rowing the boat. They're trying to get to shore. They can't get there. They can't get to safety. They, again, they think they're going to die. And then they see a, a shadow, and pretty soon they recognize Jesus walking on the water. Jesus comes up to the boat. You know, uh, they're, they're, they're in despair. They think they're going to lose their lives. They're all dead. And this is what Jesus said, John 6, 20. He said to them, it's I, don't be afraid. When we're in our trials, God comes to us and says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'll help you through this. I'll walk with you through this difficulty. And here's the thing about trials. We pray, do you pray like I do? Lord, take this trial from me. Take it away. Just like Paul. Take this thorn away from me now, Lord. Did God take the thorn away? How many times did Paul have to pray that? And he prayed over and over and over, take it away, take it away. And God said, no, because in this trial, you're going to have to rely upon me and not your own strength. And as you, in your weakness, rely on me, you're going to be made strong. And that's when Paul says, okay, all right. And he casts himself completely on the Lord and said, I would just rather be in the trial then. So that your grace, so that your grace will strengthen me. That's the truth about the Christian life. Again, the parallel to the story that we're reading here. Abram, he's afraid. He's had a great victory, but now he's fearing for his life and his family and all those men. Because he knows, this is another, I believe that he knew Keterloramir. Maybe not personally, but he knew his his reputation because he came from the same area in Ur of the Chaldees. That's where he came from years ago. So he knows this guy's a vicious ruler and king. And he's afraid he's going to come back and kill him or kill his family. He's got fear. And so the Lord says, do not be afraid. Verse 1, I am your shield. And then I love this, your exceedingly great reward. I don't know what you're going through tonight, church. But as I studied this today, I couldn't help believe that the Holy Spirit is going to minister to someone or some people in this room tonight that are going through it. Here's what the Lord would say to you if you're in it right now. God is your shield and he's not only your reward, but he's your exceedingly great reward. You got to trust him. You got to walk by faith in this lifetime. That's the message to Abram. That's the message to you and I, but notice now that, that God says that I'm your exceedingly great reward. And Abe, Abe asks this question, and here's my next point. What reward? Where's my kids? This is really what he's asking. What reward? And where are my children? You promised this. Remember the promise? Dust. All the dust. See all this dust? Your family's going to be greater than all the dust. That's a great promise. But it it hasn't come to pass. And that was 10 years ago. God makes promises in his word, and, and we hold on to those promises. And, and year after year, we, we, Lord, I've been a Christian, but I, I don't see the result of this promise in my life. When are you going to bring it in my life? Well, you've got to trust in the Lord. You've got to wait on his timing. Look at verse 2. After God says, I'm your shield, you're exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, verse 2, Lord God, what will you give me? In other words, what reward? Where's my reward? If you're my exceedingly great reward, where is it? Now, as I, as I preach this, I might add emphasis that shouldn't be there. Uh, forgive me. I'm excited about this because I, what I see here is a transparent relationship between God and Abram. And he's able to say, what? you're saying you're my reward, but what reward? Where is the reward? Obviously, that's his question. And he says, what will you give me, Sing, I am still, or go childless? I don't even have a son. And the heir of my house is this guy, Eliezer of Damascus. He's been faithful. This would have been a common thing in those days. If you didn't have children, you'd adopt one. And that child would be expected to grow up in your home, and then all of your possessions would go to that adopted son. And he says, I'm childless. And and the heir of my house is Eliezer. And he asks the question, where's my reward here? Where's, you promised me kids, I don't have any. Now again, Abram has left his home and his family, his homeland, Ur of Cali, and he's following the Lord. But he hasn't received the descendants that he's been promised. And this Eliezer of Damascus was just his right-hand man, his chief assistant, He was good, but he wasn't his son. So Abram questions God. When he does that, he's not doubting God. He's just saying, when is it going to happen? Where's my reward? You told me. When is it going to happen? There's a difference here, and I want you to understand this. There's a difference between a doubt that denies God's promise and a doubt which desires God's promise. Did you hear what I said? There's a difference between a doubt that denies God's promise. Oh, I'm never, you, 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 you didn't tell me the truth, God. I, I, I'll never get it. Denying is promise. There's a difference than a doubt which desires. Lord, I, I'm just expecting. You promised, and I know it's coming. I, I'm in my sickbed. I don't have a job. There's not a money in the bank account, but, but I'm desiring. I, I know that you're going to bring it. I'm going to hope for you and hope for your timing is best, and, and I'm just going to wait on you. Abraham wants to believe here, and he's looking to God to fulfill his promise to him. So he, he honestly, and I, I even see boldness here in, in his request, and he says, Lord, where's my reward? Now think about this for just a moment. I think this, there's a real important truth here for you and I. We need to ask the Lord boldly when we need things. It's important for us as Christians to ask of the Lord. And I'm not talking about, you know, putting faith in faith and claiming things that are not yours or never will be yours. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about issues or problems or difficulties where you come to the Lord and say, Lord, I know you understand this. I haven't seen it but I'm trusting you for it. And I believe that you'll only give it to me in your time at the right time and for your purpose, to fulfill your purpose. Instead of just kind of bottling up your feelings and looking right and left and seeing your neighbors that have everything and just getting mad and angry at God, you should just say, hey, Lord, you you know what's right. You promised me this and, and you're gonna provide it in your time. Notice this verse here, Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing Paul says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. That's how you go to God with that desire. You have a desire for God to answer your prayer. You don't deny God's promise. You, you desire God's promise. I'm thankful. Lord, I've got breath today. I'm, I'm sick, but i got breath today. So, Lord, what are you going to do? Lord, there's no money, but what are you going to do, Lord? And you're trusting the Lord. So this honesty, this boldness that we see in Abram, we're to have as well. The writer of the Hebrews tells us to come boldly to the throne. Look at this verse, Hebrews 4.16. This is a great one here, Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. As believers, we're to have this relationship. It's personal with God. We, we said, Lord, I, I'm just really hurt right now. I don't have the things I need. Would you help me? Give me the right heart. Give me the right attitude. Help me to ask for the right things. So here, Abram asked God. Look at it again. Look at it verse 3. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So again, he's saying, I'm looking for my son. I'm looking for my heir born in my house. I have a guy here that that he could take all my stuff. I could leave all my stuff. He could be my heir. but, But you promised me, Lord, and I have no offspring at this time. Again, 10 years since God promised dust. Remember the promise? And now he's 85 years old. Sarai's not any younger either. Together, they both have this desire for a child. But listen, you've heard me say, and you've heard this stated before, God's delays are not God's denials. In fact, that's so important for you to understand as a believer. I want you to say it with me. It's God's delays are not God's denials. Here we go. God's delays are not God's denials. That's something that's really important for you and I to understand and hold on to. There's no doubt that Abram's wondering, when is all this going to happen? When is God going to give him a child? How much longer will we have to wait? Has God changed his mind? Have, I, have we done something wrong? Should we go to plan B? And we've all had those thoughts. Now, I, I've never gone through the pain of not being able to have a child, but that's a real thing for some people. There's a real pain for women and for, for husbands as well. Couples that really so desire to have a child. I haven't had that, but I've talked to them. It's real. And I'm sure that at this point in time in their life, 85 years old, with a promise that there's going to be this family that will number the stars in the heaven, the dust on the ground. I mean, that's the promise that abraham has been given, but he hasn't realized the promise yet. And so he's wondering now, what did I do? Did I do something wrong? Have I sinned? Should we do something to make it happen, Lord? Which is kind of the direction they're going to go. They're going to fail there. But I truly believe that God knew exactly what Abram was thinking. God understands Abram's doubt just like he understands your doubt. He understands everything that's happening here. He understands the fear that he had. Now, beginning in verse 4, God is going to reassure Abram, who's doubting and fearful at this point, right? He's doubting and he's fearful. And so here's my my next point on the screen, the promise of a son. God's going to give him this promise of a son. This first promise is the son. The second is land. We'll look at that next week, verses 7 through 21. Tonight, let's look at these first couple of verses. Verse 4 says this. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. He's talking about Eliezer, But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. So there's the promise. God has articulated. He's given more detail now to to Abram, saying it's going to come from your body. Then, verse 5, he brought him outside and said, Look to the heaven. Count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. Now, what God is doing here is making this covenant with him. He's reminding him of this covenant. That it's between God and Abram. It's this covenant that all of these people are going to come from you. And the world's going to be blessed. Now, we've studied the book of Genesis. And we understand what the, the, the whole point here is. The point is that God created man, and he created woman, Adam and Eve, our forefathers. But they rejected God's counsel and wisdom and direction and willfully disobeyed and ate from the tree they were forbidden to. And because of that sin, chapter 3, Genesis, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, there were curses. Remember the curses against the woman, against the man? But this started with the serpent, the serpent that was upright, a beautiful creature, became a slithering snake, the Bible says. That was a curse. And then the next was that from the seed of the woman, that would be Eve, would come this person that would crush the head of the serpent. And now we jump all the way to chapter 15, and here's the covenant. This is the covenant. This is the important thing uh, about the covenant here. He says, from this one shall be your heir. He'll come from your body. Then he brought him outside and said, look to the heavens, and all of these are going to come. This is the fulfillment of, even the Messiah would come from this man. And this is what makes the statement in verse 6 so, so important. He believed, and his faith was accounted to him as righteousness. But God is making this agreement now, this covenant with Abram. And we'll talk a lot more about the covenant next week. I think it's more appropriate to talk about it there. But I'll just give you a sneak peek. Look at verse 8. The agreement in the ancient days would be, ancient people of this day would be this way. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I'm going to inherit it? What's the, the deal here? So he said to him, bring me three A three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove and young pigeons. And so he brought all these things to God and cut them in two. Pretty gruesome, right? So these animals were going to die and blood was going to be shed. And these two animals would be cut in two. Part of the covenant was on one side. The other part of the covenant was on the other side. This is an agreement, a joint agreement between two people. And this is how they would do it uh, in this time. And a covenant is very important to God. And there's, there's this covenant between the two. We'll talk a lot more about that next week when we get to verse 7 in the land. But tonight, there's three things about this covenant, this promise that God makes with Abram that I want to look at. Number one, the simplicity of God's promise. Notice it in verse 4. This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body will be your heir. This is a very clear now. First, it's the stars and the dust. You're, you're going to have a family that big and you go, wow, that's a big family, but it's hard to understand. But now he understands it's going to come from him and his own body. He's going to have a son and then from his son's going to come all these children. So God's promise is clear, very simple, simply stated here in the scripture, but, but very clear. Abram's going to have a son and the son is going to be his heir. Now here's, here's the real... Truth about the simplicity of the promises of God. Throughout the scripture, God gives promises. They're all over the place. You may have them on your refrigerator. You might have them in a little uh, artwork on your house somewhere. Uh, my wife's got several of those in the home. You might have written down some promises to help you through your day. They might be in the back of your Bible. I have them in my Bible, little stick it note pads. But when you read his promises... God promises many, many things. He's promised you and I, number one, forgiveness. God's promised us forgiveness. 1 John one 9 we we've been studying that on Sunday. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from what? All unrighteousness. That's a promise, right? But you've got to confess your sin. And once you do, the promise comes into play there. One of my favorite promises is is God removes my sin from me. And that's in Psalm 103, one of my favorite psalms. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Now think about that. Does God just take your sin and say, okay, I'm going to hold on to this, but you better not sin again. You better not do it again, because here it is. I'm going to remind you of the sin that you're doing. Does God do that? No, this is what he does. As far as the east is from the west, he separates us from our sin. You've got to get in your mind a line that's infinite. And as far as the east is, you're on one side of the line, your sin is on, that's how far away your sin is from you. That's pretty glorious, right? That's a promise. There's wonderful promises of God in the Scripture. Not only that, we're promised that God's going to provide all of our needs. Not our greeds, but all of our needs. Philippians 4.19, look at this verse. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. You have any needs tonight? Have you asked the Lord for your, not your greeds, not, the, not a faster car, not a more beautiful house. That's not, that, that, that's a greed, that's not a need. You have a need, have you gone to the Lord with your need? When you do, he can supply those things. God's promises, they go on and on, wisdom, guidance, but especially peace. I love all this promises for peace. Have you ever been in turmoil? Have you ever had uh, angst in your, in your heart? Uh, you're troubled. No one's ever had that, right, in this room. John 14, 27, here it is. Look at this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, I give to you. Uh, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace. If you need peace tonight, that's a promise. Just go to the Lord say, Lord, I, I need peace tonight. He'll give you that peace. God's promise, they're, they're over, they're written and recorded over and over in the scripture. You've got to read the scripture, and you'll be reminded of his, his promises. So number one, the simplicity of God's promise. They're everywhere in the Bible. Simple for Abram to know. God says, "Your heir' is going to come from your body." Very simple. Number two, the sovereignty of God's promise promise. So first the simplicity, now the sovereignty. Look at verse 5. Then he brought him outside and said, look now to heaven, count the stars if you're able to number them. So here we have God is talking in a sovereign and powerful way. You're not going to have just one. You're going to have a lot. There's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of kids. I mean, that sh- could be overwhelming to, to any parent, but, but God is showing his sovereignty here. God's promise that he's going to have this huge family shows God's power, shows God's uh, uh, sovereignty here in in his act. Again, Abram's 85 years old, well past the, the time where most of us think we should have children. But age is not a limit to God. There is nothing that can limit God. Have you put a limit on God for something that you need? It's a great question. Have you ever limited God and said, oh, gee, I'm not worth it. I, I shouldn't have that. I must be a sinner, whatever. You know, instead of just saying, Lord, if you want me to have it, I'll have it. God will bring it to your life. If he wants you to have it, you'll have it. You just have to trust him and follow him and believe in his promises. And he can do things that are powerful. God's promises often are designed to, to overrule even nature you know, who can stand up in a boat and say, peace be still to the wind and the rain and it stops? Who can do that? God is sovereign. He's powerful. God's promises do what men say cannot be done. The, the children of Israel, after 400 years of bondage, they, they're leaving Pharaoh. They finally get away and they, they get right up against an ocean. There's a sea. They don't have any boats. They just left. They're carrying their stuff in their arms. They get to the sea. Now what do they do? God shows his power. What did God do? He peeled back the water. And the Bible says this. They walked across on dry land. That's power. That's the God that we know and love. He does sovereign things. He does powerful things. Someone said this. Look at this quote that I got here. We need to remember that we don't serve the God of the can-do. We serve the God of the has-done. I like that. He's done it. And he's written it for us in the Bible so that we can gain strength and courage in our time of need. Remember, this this chapter begins with a man that's fearful and doubting. If you're fearful and doubting tonight, this, this is for you. God's speaking to you. So we have this sovereign promise of the Lord, simplicity of God's promise, sovereignty of God's promise. Number 3, the size. This is pretty in, in, interesting. Again, verse 5, look at toward heaven. Count the stars if you're able to number them, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be, so the size of God's promise. Abram was concerned uh, about one king or maybe four, those four kings. He was concerned about that. He was concerned about Having one heir to take on his name. God was concerned about giving him more than he could ever count. God's blessings and God's provision. God is showing Abram that his blessing was so big, it was going to blow his mind. I I, I love that truth. When God does something in your life, he does it, and he does it really well. And he does it, and it, it, it puts your expectation to shame. He shows his power, he shows his sovereignty, he shows his, his promise and, and the size of his promise. Again, in John 10, this is really interesting, John 10, 10, Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more what? Life. Have you ever wondered about the abundant Christian life? You're living in your little house and driving to your, your little, you know, putt-putt Volkswagen to work every day. And uh, you get to work, and you do your job, and then you get in your car, and, and you go back to home, and you're just kind of in this pattern. God's come to give you an abundant life. What is the abundant life for the Christian? It's, it's the eternal nature of our lives. It's the future that God's promised us. It's the, it's the, we're only here for a short time. We don't belong here. We're not of this world. We, we're, we have an address in heaven. That's the hope. That's the promise. That's the abundant life. And with that, it relieves all this pressure and stress. And I don't need to gain stuff here because I can't take my stuff with me on the other side. God's not just um, enough tonight for you. He's more than enough. He he wants you to have an abundant life. Again, that's why Paul wrote this. Look at this verse, Ephesians 3.20. This is a good one. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. God has the ability. God is abundant. He can do more than you and I could ever think. Now, again, Paul says, now to, who, or to him who is able. I've got to keep on this verse here. This is a great verse. I remember when I did the exposition a few years ago, and I, want, I just want to share you again. These thoughts. Paul says, To him who is able. And I just stop there for a moment. Do you believe that God is able? Do you believe that God has the ability, the resources, the power to meet your need? See, it's, it's ridiculous to think that He can't, isn't it? It's, this is a wonderful, wonderful truth. God is able, He's capable to meet every need. If you don't believe that, you either don't understand a God of the Bible, or you're just really weak in your faith. You, you, have, you, you, have a, you have faith in yourself, and your faith is just about you. Your faith isn't in a powerful, sovereign God. And so your perspective needs to change there. The remedy for which is this scripture, Romans ten seventeen. I, this is another good one here. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's word. We, we need to get into the word to understand theology, understand who God is, and that's what builds our faith. We put more faith and more trust in the Lord because of his word. So we need to come back to the word of God. We need to trust the Lord in all those things. God's able. God's not idle. He's able to do everything in our lives. So Paul says, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, God working in the believer. Abram. Abram is just like you and I. He's learning to believe and trust the Lord. The Simplicity of the promises, sovereignty and the size of God's promises. He's learning all those things. And then look at verse six. Abram's response of faith. And he Believed in the Lord. There's the comment right there. So God has, first he questioned, Lord, I, 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 I don't, where's the reward? I don't have a son. Where, where is it? And God said, listen, you're going to get it. It's gonna come, he's going to come from your body. And so God, now Abram's putting his faith in a sovereign and powerful God and has changed his whole thought here. He says he believed in the Lord. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. So when Abram believed God, four descendants, when Abram believes that God is actively working in his life, that's when he believed everything about the Lord and God immediately, boom, that quick, he accredited to his belief. This is a very important point for us as as believers he accounts it for righteousness. Now, there's two kinds of righteousness that are given to us in the scriptures. Let me just articulate these, my next point. Two types of righteousness. Number one, there's a righteousness that can be accomplished by works. That would include your own self-effort. That would include your going to church or doing good works. Religion, Religion always seeks to please God from man's side. Endless rituals, church attendance, all kinds of things man does. Helping the old lady across the street. All nice things. But those are, they're they're man's works. And so there are many people that believe they have righteousness that's accomplished by their own works. But Paul tells us that that will not accomplish God's purpose. In Romans 3.10 He says, there's no righteous, no, not one. None of us are righteous, that our righteous works are bad. Isaiah 64, verse 6, I think I went backwards, but Isaiah 64, 6, look what Isaiah says, but we are all like an unclean thing. All our righteousness are like filthy rags. You know what that is, I won't go into that again. Now, the second kind of righteousness in the Bible, not man's righteousness, the righteousness accounted to us by faith. Here's the one that's really important for you to get tonight. When you believe Jesus Christ for salvation, when you put your faith in Christ, God places Christ's righteousness on you. It's it's called imputation, theologically. He he places righteousness on you. It's something God does. You don't do it. You don't do it by church sins. You don't do it by good works. Because you believe in God, that you can be saved through by faith in Christ alone. God imputes or places righteousness on you. It's a work of God when you believe. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that uh, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what? Believe. Believes on him shall have eternal life. When you believe, when you believe on him, that's when... Imputation of righteousness happens. Christ's righteousness. Like a, in the scripture, it's like a robe. A robe of righteousness. Now, am I righteous? Do I do all good things? No, I'm a sinner. But I have the robe of righteousness on me. This is a glorious truth for, for the believer. I, I'm righteous because God has placed righteousness on me because I believed. That's what the scripture is teaching. Abraham believes God. And then God Accounts his belief and places righteousness on him. Only God can do that. None of us can be good enough. We're not righteous enough. We we, we can't deserve or earn any of God's favor. We have to stand in God's righteousness alone. And this is how it comes. It comes when you believe. When you believe, it's accounted to you as righteousness because that's what Abram does here. He believed in the Lord. And again, this is one of the clearest explanations in the earliest portion of the Bible for salvation by grace through faith. Because he's being saved, he's given, he's been, uh, this righteousness has been imputed upon him simply because he believes God in his promise. Just as you believe in Jesus and God does all his wonderful, wonderful works in your life. The scripture is filled with that truth, that definition, but here we see it, The first time in the Bible, believe is used right here in this text. The first time righteousness is used in the Bible is right here in this text. In the gospel, in the Old Testament, we see this. And then in the New Testament, Paul, it's in Romans 4. Romans 4 is all about righteousness. And he goes again and again. Romans 4, 9 and 10. Romans 19 and 24. And then in Romans 4, the very beginning here, I'll put it on the screen for you. Romans 4, 1. Notice this, Paul says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has nothing to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So this theme carries into the New Testament. When you believe God imputes righteousness on you. And Paul in Galatians 3, here's another good one. Galatians 3, therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So the important thing here for us to learn is Abraham is believing God. He doubted God at the beginning, right? Just like you and I, the beginning of this text here in chapter 15. He doubted God and he was fearful. But now he believed God and as soon as he believed, God imputed righteousness. It's the same for you and I as believers. When we come to Christ and we believe, God puts this robe of righteousness on us. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it either. But when God looks at you, he sees the robe of righteousness because Christ died for your sin. Sunday morning, don't miss Sunday morning, propitiation, another theological term. We're gonna, we're gonna go deep into that and understand that. These, these are so important for you as a believer. When you understand these truths, you, you're, you're freed. You, you have liberty. You have so much more to be thankful for. Your worship, your life, your service, you, you just glory in what God has done. Beautiful, beautiful truths here. That's why he says here in verse six, he believed in the Lord And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Really quick, let me give you this illustration as a closing thought. In the middle of a hot, dry desert, there's a water pump. You may have heard this before. I've I've heard it too. You're You're a hot and thirsty traveler. You're going through the desert. Your canteen is empty. You're thirsty. And you come to this water pump. Tied to the handle is a handwritten note that says this. Pay attention here. I have buried a bottle of water to prime the pump. Don't drink it. Pour in half of, uh, of the bottle to wet the le- leather. And then wait. And then pour the rest of the bottle. And then start pumping. The well has never gone dry. But the pump must be primed to bring the water up. Have faith. Believe. When you're through drawing water, fill the bottle, bury it in the sand for the next traveler. Here's the question. What would you do? You're hot. You're thirsty. The sign says there's a bottle of water. Do you just dig it up and drink the bottle? Or do you take the bottle, use the instructions, pour a little bit in, lubricate the leather a little bit more, so now you can have as much as you want. You see the difference? Faith is that way. When we believe, we have this righteousness that's placed on us, but we have to put our faith in God. That means all of it, not some of it. Following the directions, doing just what we're told to do. Abram heard the word from the Lord, and he believed that the That uh, he believed God's word, and because he believed, it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now, I don't know where you're at tonight. If you're in a battle, if you're sick, if you're praying for something that has not materialized, and it's been years, you've been praying, 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 and it's not come to to bear in your life. Maybe there's a storm in your life that that really needs to be calmed. I'm not sure where you're at. But I know this, you trust in the promises of God and he will come through. You put your faith in an all-loving, sovereign, powerful God and he will take care of every need that you have. Oh, may we never, Christians, we never doubt what God has proven to be true in his word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight, and I ask God that you would bring this truth to these, your people, the truth that that we are to believe in your promises, that we're not to doubt them, that we're to believe that you have perfect timing in mind, that you have the perfect thing, the perfect help the perfect peace that we need. And so, Lord, I, I just pray for any that are here that are struggling and ask God that you would just increase their faith, cause them, Lord, to, to put their trust wholly and completely in you. And like Abram, Lord, as we believe in you account it to righteousness on our behalf, Lord, I'm so grateful for that truth as a believer. I pray that All the things that I do in the future, Lord, from this moment on, would would really reflect that, Lord. Walking by faith, believing you by faith. Not seeing it, but putting utter trust in you for all things. And Lord, may you in your sovereign way work your power, work your way. Do what you will, Lord. And Father, for any here tonight that are struggling, physically, Lord, that they would be encouraged, that they wouldn't doubt you, but they would wait patiently upon you as you sovereignly work for your glory, for your honor, for your name, we pray in Jesus. Amen.